Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowicz, your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Each show has three segments going back in time about the FDNY and its history. You can listen to all of the past episodes by going to the website of the New York City Fire Museum at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny and choosing the digital platform you use for listening to podcasts. Now, let's start this month's show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, in 1913, the New York Fire Department Band is formed. In 1940, Patrick Walsh is appointed Chief of Department. And in 1978, a fire in a Brooklyn supermarket claims the lives of six of New York's bravest. When you heard in the introduction that I would be talking about the New York Fire Department Band, I'll bet the vast majority of our listeners thought that that would be about the FDNY Emerald Society Pipes and Drums. Nope, that's not the case. I'm talking about a full-blown, multi-instrument band. The first FDNY band was formed by seven members of the department in 1900, and they recruited a total of 40 musicians. But it only survived a few years. Then, in 1913, Firefighter Thomas Richards secured the permission from Chief of Department Kenlin to organize a department band once again. He placed a notice in The Chief, the New York City Civil Service newspaper still in publication today. It read, quote, Members of the department having any experience or knowledge of musical instruments report to The Chief any day next week, end quote. Thirteen men responded. Together, they held a meeting to discuss the idea of forming a band and on August 31st, 1913, the band was born. Additional members were recruited from the uniformed force, and over the years, the band grew. At its peak, it had 85 members. It was a full marching band with a wide array of brass, woodwind, and percussion instruments. They performed at many functions, both within and outside the department. Many times in its history, the band participated in competitions, and did indeed win several, including the 21st National Convention of the American Legion, held in Chicago in 1939. They represented the FDNY American Legion Post 930, and they won a trophy that is now in the collection of the New York City Fire Museum. Interestingly, the band always had a leader from outside the department. The one guest leader who had the most enthusiasm was the consummate fire buff, Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia. On many occasions, including at the 1939 New York World's Fair, he would jump up on the podium, baton in hand, and in his typical energetic style, lead. A very rare artifact that exists from the band is a record they made in 1923. Yes, a vinyl record to be played at 78 revolutions per minute. The two-sided antique had two songs, President Coolidge March and Fire Call March. This band was not the only musical endeavor of FDNY employees prior to 1960. In 1920, Robert McGeary, an FDNY cable splicer, an accomplished military music expert, formed a bugle and drum corps. Unlike the band, he allowed any employee of the FDNY to join, regardless of rank or if they were uniformed or civilian members. In 1925, a glee club was formed under the auspices of the FDNY Holy Name Society of Brooklyn and Queens. I'll talk more about these groups in future episodes. As much as the department band was loved and requested, 
Commissioner Edward Cavanaugh decided to disband the group. He said his decision was based on the inordinate time off that its members had, adversely affecting other department activities, most notably an increase in the fire prevention program. The end came on June 1st, 1958. Fortunately, the New York City Fire Museum has a large collection of artifacts from the band, including uniforms, badges, awards, and photographs. Having and preserving these rare historic items are a key responsibility of the department's museum. Hello, everyone. I'm Jennifer Brown, the executive director of the New York City Fire Museum. Thank you for listening to our throwback FDNY podcast. We invite you to become a member of our wonderful cultural institution in Lower Manhattan. We preserve the history of the fire department in New York City, educate the public on fire and life safety, and celebrate the wonderful traditions of the FDNY. To learn more about our membership program and the perks it offers, go to nycfiremuseum.org. Born into a farming family in Ballydine, Ireland in 1868, Patrick Walsh arrived in America, specifically New York, on March 20, 1888, in search of work. His early jobs included working as a caretaker on an estate in New Jersey, as a deckhand on the New York to Brooklyn Ferry, and as a bartender. In 1901, at the age of 33, he joined the FDNY. Although he was four years above the maximum age limit, he stated his age as 28 on the application, an adjustment he had to live with his entire career. He was appointed on December 10, 1901, and assigned to Engine Company 7. A wonderful photograph shows the new firefighter in his summer straw headgear with one of Engine 7's horses and their Dalmatian mascot on its back. On April 2, 1905, he was promoted from fireman first grade to engineer of steamer and assigned to Engine 27. Since his early days, Patrick enjoyed and appreciated studying, so it is not surprising that he took promotional exams regularly and steadily rose to the ranks of the FDNY. When John McElligot retired as chief of department but held his position as commissioner in February 1940, he appointed Assistant Chief Walsh to fulfill the role as acting chief of department. He had not taken the civil service examination for the department's highest uniform position, so the Civil Service Commission adopted a resolution to allow the mayor to appoint a chief of department from among the assistant chiefs. One year later, Commissioner McElligot left office and Patrick Walsh was named to hold the positions of chief of department and commissioner simultaneously like his predecessor did. Although the highest ranking officer at fires, Walsh was known for being the consummate firefighter. A 1942 article in New York Magazine recounted one such fire. Quote, There was recently a fire whose exact location in a rambling building was still unknown to the firemen at the time the chief arrived. As usual, Walsh disappeared from public view upon arrival. Five minutes later, his round, ruddy, steel-bespeckled countenance was thrust out of a sixth-story window and his modulated voice floated down to the busy gathering below. Lads, he said, would you mind coming up here with a hose and put out the fire? Clearly, this was a stressful time for the United States on the brink of the Second World War. With a mayor who is both a fire buff and the director of the U.S. Office of Civilian Defense, the chief had his hands full. Mayor LaGuardia formed a War Protection Commission, on which Walsh played a key role. 
he came up with the idea of forming a Fire Emergency Auxiliary Corps, something we talked about in our August 2021 episode. Upon LaGuardia's retirement as mayor, Commissioner Walsh was replaced by the newly elected mayor, William O'Dwyer, with Frank Quayle on December 31, 1945. Unfortunately, he did not enjoy his retirement very long. He and his wife left for a trip to Ireland the following June, and he suffered a stroke on the plane while returning home in August. The plane was met by FDNY physician Dr. Harry M. Archer, and the 78-year-old chief was admitted to the hospital. He passed away that September. Kathleen Walsh Packard wrote her grandfather's biography, LaGuardia's Fire Chief, in 1993. I recommend it to fully appreciate the life and contributions of this outstanding member of the FDNY. At the New York City Fire Museum this fall, in addition to our permanent 9-11 commemoration room, we will display a special exhibition. To commemorate the 21st anniversary this year, on display will be the poignant photography of Richard Weissel. This exhibit, focusing on family members and personal artifacts of FDNY members who made the supreme sacrifice on that day, will be on display throughout the month of September. Book your visit at nycfiremuseum.org. Naturally, we talk about a variety of fires that the FDNY has battled. And while there are more fires than we can count, we try to tell you about those that might be considered historic. How do we define that? Well, I would say that it means a fire that was particularly large or challenging to fight, one that occurs in a significant location in the city, or one where there's a loss of life. While any loss of life is sad and unfortunate, we generally focus on those that involve one or more members of the uniform force or numerous civilians. One such fire occurred on August 2nd, 1978. We refer to it as the Waldbaums Fire. Waldbaums was a popular supermarket chain in New York. It was founded in 1904 in Brooklyn. After bankruptcy, it shut down all operations in 2015. Its store, located at 2892 Ocean Avenue in the Sheepshead Bay neighborhood, was undergoing extensive renovations in the summer of 1978. Without going into too much detail, it is important for me to tell you a little bit about some of the building's structural characteristics. First, anyone that has been in a supermarket knows how large they can be, and the area where you shop is very wide open, a type of construction that can create large areas unobstructed by support columns or pillars is called a bowstrings truss roof. That's what this Wallbaums had, and the trusses were made of wood. Another feature of the building was multiple ceiling and roof structures that caused some of the fire to be hidden from view of the firefighters. At about 8.30 a.m., a fire began in the mezzanine of the building where some renovations were being made. It spread quickly upwards into the roof area. It made its way into an area of the multi-layer ceiling and roof structure where it not only could not be fully seen, but also where it was able to spread very quickly. The alarm came into the FDNY just before 8.40 a.m. The first arriving units realized that this was a working fire and transmitted the all-hands signal to ensure a full complement of responding apparatus, as well as additional chiefs and rescue company two. In accordance with normal structural firefighting procedures, members of ladder companies, in this case ladder companies 156 and 153, ascend to the roof to create openings from which smoke, flame, and gases can ventilate out. As the fire progressed, 
More members were sent to the roof until there were about 24 of them performing various functions. At 9.16 a.m., one of the roof trusses failed and collapsed. Remember, they were made from timber, and the fire that had been burning for almost 45 minutes was taking its toll. A 100-foot by 40-foot area of the roof collapsed, taking with it 12 of the firefighters. Six of them fell into the roof that existed just below the uppermost roof. The other six dropped into the inferno below. Moments later, the entire roof collapsed, taking with it the men that had fallen into the truss area, propelling them, along with the roof above them, into the supermarket below. Although severely injured and burned, the six men that fell all the way to the floor when the first collapse occurred managed to either escape or be rescued before the second collapse. Those that were trapped in the truss area perished. This loss of six FDNY members was the department's largest loss since the 23rd Street Fire that claimed the lives of 12 firefighters in 1966. The Walbaum's fire became one of the most historic fires in the FDNY for numerous reasons. First, it called attention to the bowstring truss roof construction that existed in this and so many other buildings. Up to that time, such structures were not addressed in any formal way in firefighter training. Now, because of that fire, they are. Second, the FDNY changed its procedures and does not allow firefighters to go onto the roof in bowstring trust building fires. And sadly, while the loss of any firefighter has the strongest impact on the family, in this case, not only did six wives lose their husbands, but 18 children lost their fathers. In one case, the family of firefighter William O'Connor of Ladder 156 has stopped by the firehouse just when this alarm came in and went to the scene to watch him work. They waved to him, and he waved back just before the collapse occurred. He and the following five members of New York's Bravest made the supreme sacrifice that day. They are Lieutenant James E. Cutillo, Battalion 33, Fireman Charles S. Boonton, Ladder 156, Fireman George S. Rice, Ladder 153, Fireman James P. McManus, Ladder 153, Fireman Harold F. Hastings, Battalion 42. May they rest in peace. And now it's time for our throwback FDNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. What New York City firefighter was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1958? The answer can be found in our last episode. And remember, you can always listen to that and all of our previous episodes by going to nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you by the New York City Fire Museum with help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation the official philanthropic organization of the department. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this important safety tip. Personal mobility devices powered by lithium ion batteries can present a dangerous risk of fire and even explosion. When not in use, they should be kept away from flammable materials and should never be charged unattended or overnight within a residence. For more information on lithium ion battery safety, visit fdnysmart.org. 
we can all do our part to be a partner with the fire department by promoting fire safety. Until next time, thank you and stay safe.